Welcome to the fire. Welcome to the fire, boys. My name is Parker McDonald. And I'm Walter Lee, and we'll be your hosts on this episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. If you're a new hunter trying to learn the basics, or you're a veteran woodsman just trying to get through your workday, there's always a place at our campfire for you. Speaking of the fire, we would love it if you guys would join our growing Patreon community and be a part of the best and only digital deer camp south of Mason Dixon Line. Come on. If you'd like and learn more, click on the link in the show notes. But for now, Walt, welcome, welcome to, to the fire. fire. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. I am joined by a man who is no stranger to a microphone. The man that is almost always on every one of these episodes whenever I start the intro off. Largely because he doesn't allow me to record by myself anymore. He took those roles away because I just ramble and take us. I'm just kidding. He's never taken that away. But I think he's probably thought about it and he's probably thinking about it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got an episode that I think you're going to really enjoy. It's uh, not one of those sexy topics, but it's one of those topics that's really required. And it's one that uh, is really listener Patreon driven. This is something that has been born between uh, opportunity and a constant dialogue this time of year. Uh, we are talking to the CEO, Mike Costello of How for Wildlife. And Parker, you said it best. What a nice guy. What a nice guy. Yeah. He even... Even when we were getting off uh, off the conversation, off the phone call a few minutes ago, uh, just happy to be, you know, just like had that happy to be here look. Um, and I do have to say, I think that this is a record, Walter. It it only took 55 seconds of recording this podcast for you to, to stop talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, you know what? Um, You're right. That's, that's um, I'm probably... People are going to feel like I shorted them. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. The, I don't know if they're going to feel that. <laughs> everyone in the car collectively in that pause went, no, we're not. <laughs> I, I've got to tell you, Walter, there's a particular podcast. I'm not going to name it. Mm -hmm. um, but during turkey season, I, I try to listen to turkey podcasts, you know, and there's a particular podcast where one day I timed it and the host had talked for 36 minutes before somebody else ever talked on that podcast. Oh my God. He talked for 36 minutes and there was like two other people on the episode, you know, like there was other people around and, um, yeah. So it could be worse. You know what I mean? Like, yep. don't worry about it too much. Uh, but the, the, it, it is a, a constant thing that I'm learning is that, while you say I am no stranger to the microphone, uh, you you like this microphone a lot. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. You know, I found <laughs> I found that my <laughs> I found that the that if I turn down my mic monitoring and I don't hear myself, I'm not quite as enamored by it. I think it's like the ADD squirrel thing. Like I hear myself, I'm like, oh, that was a good sentence. Let's see if you can do it again. But before we uh, lose our entire audience. Uh, Dude, I'm in full turkey. Well, hold mode. on, hold what? on though. What? But hold on, hold on. You just you just went away. I, like the my whole comment right there just kind of um sounded douchey without some context. <laughs> <laughs> I got to offer that context. Uh, we are con constantly finding out you and I 
um, who have both owned our own platforms mm-hmm. separately from each other. You know, we had co-hosts and stuff, but largely we were doing those things and hosting them. And now here we are doing the Southern Collective thing together. And so there's been like <laughs> so many times when even in this conversation with Mike, where I've had to learn to share the space. Yeah. Like there's somebody else who also is good at forming questions and also, <laughs> uh, it's so true. Really likes to talk, you know? And yeah. so it's, it's always like this, like, Hey, let me talk for five seconds, bruh. Yeah. I think we both have it. Yo, all the time. If there was a dollar, if I was a dollar for every time I go, and then I just hush, like I open my mouth for, I realize I'm on video right now, but you guys won't see that. But I open my, my mouth to say something and then I shut up because I'm like, you're dominating the space. You literally have asked five questions in a row. Shut the heck up. Parker can think for himself. You know, it's, it's <laughs> tough, man. But, uh, I do think that's kind of what makes us unique at the same time is we're both, you know, actively it's, trying to, you know, pursue a dialogue. It's been fun getting used to it. It's also been fun having those one-on-one <laughs> conversations that, uh, it's probably the reason why why it works yeah. is because of the one on one conversations that you and I have that uh, are would probably be funny if we could share them with the world. We should probably start recording those conversations. <laughs> it's a new Maybe Patreon not. benefit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, new, new Patreon. <laughs> Squirrel. Notes Speaking of every, Patreon, every Tuesday. yeah. <laughs> Come on, do it. Speaking of Patreon, mm-hmm. um, man. We got back from a heck of a great uh, deer trip not too long ago. Deer camp with our Patreon guys. Um, Been editing a lot of video. You know, I just put up the video from the last Patreon turkey hunt. Mm -hmm. And every time I get to do that and relive those moments, I'm reminded of how grateful I am for that community. The community is awesome. These guys are, I feel like I talk about them every day. Yeah, I talk to these people every day. Uh, but I feel like every single day I'm telling people like, y'all, this Patreon, these guys are just different. They're just, they're the best. Well, you know, I talked to somebody the other day and they described Patreon as a group of our fans. And I was like, no. And they're like, yeah, but that's what they are. I was like, mm. yeah, maybe, but they're kind of, they're not at the same time, right? Like they were there for me when the birth of my son and sent me stuff, right? Just to say, not just, just, just to say thanks, you know, and they, they, they actively participate in building a community that we think is important to have on the landscape and they're taking new hunters. I mean, hell, uh, Graybeard's taking uh, kids on a hog hunt this upcoming month. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's so much more. It's this tight knit group of guys that take each other to go do new things, whether it's, you know, somebody volunteers to take you duck hunting or they take you scouting on, on one of the Patreon hunts. And it is, uh, it's a group of guys that uh, normally would be completely disconnected that find community in one space and like-minded individuals. Uh, and that, that conversation we talk about on the show, it is constantly rolling in the polo and the uh, discord group. So if you're interested in going, uh, we've got just a couple spots left for the Patreon hunt, by the way, the Turkey hunt that's coming up next month. Um, we have a, sp- a couple spots available for that, but if you're, you're interested in being plugged into a close tight knit, no BS group, this is where you want to go. It is, it is amazing. The amount of things you'll learn, the amount of things that we learn on a week to week, day to day basis. I love it, man. And I'm so, so remarkably grateful for each and every one of them. Well, well, you know, I speaking about turkey hunting, I have been uh, putting the deer stuff away, getting out my turkey stuff. And 
I did not have to take out an old that old turkey vest this year because I took my turkey vest out of a brand new box. And uh, I have been getting that thing, getting this, it's actually right here behind me, getting this M2 vest ready to go. And I'm going to, I've never had like, I've never felt like I needed to be creative to put my turkey stuff together, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But with this vest, I feel like I am like looking at different options, different ways to make that maybe even challenge the way that a typical turkey vest is structured so that it fits my needs. And that's the thing that I like about the N2 vest is that I can move stuff around. It's modular and, and modular is like, it is so modular. When I say modular, I mean like it is completely customizable to you. You can, I mean, and just tethered has a lot of attachments. Tethered, tethered has a lot of different options and, uh, call attachments and things like that. But because of the Molly, you and I were talking about this earlier because of those Molly, uh, connections there. I mean, you pretty much have entire storehouses, Amazon storehouses of options that you can, that you can find to fit your needs, which is a really, really probably my favorite part about this vest. Yeah, dude. No. And especially as a self filmer, the ideas that you and I have had, not, not most people who listen to this aren't self filmers, but it, it still reflects that diversity of opportunity there. It, um, we're coming up with new ways to carry our tripods to make it more efficient to where hopefully, you know, we can go further. We're not quite, it's not weighing on us quite like it did before. And man, I'm going to tell you, I've said this a hundred times that seat, I'm not even a big fan of a seat anymore, but that daggum tethered seat, dude, I cannot wait for you to, to try it out. Those different layers of foam. It makes it so yeah. customizable, so comfortable. Um, and I think whenever you work with the, or whenever you find those companies that really, find ways to to make things more enjoyable smoother more comfortable more efficient whatever it is you you have to really grab onto it and run with it and that's kind of one of the reasons why we work with honeycomb custom calls you know he makes some of the easiest to run best sounding turkey calls out there and we've worked with him to design a call line that anybody should be able to use that require the least amount of air and make the the widest array possible of turkey noises from just two mouth calls that's right. Yeah. That other call and the JB special. Yeah. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I will probably not have another diaphragm in my call wallet this year. I'll probably, I probably have them and then backups for them. Uh, because what I have found is that, uh, similar, similar thing with this copper surface, uh, pot call that, that I've got from honeycomb. Like, I just don't think there's going to be a lot of scenarios where I can't walk into the woods with just those three calls and have a diversity of sounds that I can make. That's right. the important part about that. Uh, and you need to have that diversity. These calls have it. Um, so, man, I, I really would tell anybody, especially the new person, um, but even the, the veteran turkey hunter to check out these calls from Honeycomb custom calls because i do not think you will be disappointed and along the lines of smooth efficient items we recently recorded an episode with jordan barnes that'll come out in the near future dude is crazier than i'll get out chasing turkeys with a bow Uh, but one of the things that you'll need if you want to chase a bow uh, chase a turkey is a smooth easy to draw bow. i know i botched that one up it's okay it was a great segue and then i ruined it but uh 
I'm going to tell you something, dude. That carbon icon is the easiest to draw bow. I've said this since the beginning. I had the bow tech prove to me that it was 65 pounds because it felt just like such a dream to draw back. So check out Bowtech if you're looking at a new bow. I know several new Patreon members have, uh, several of the Patreon members have been buying them and raving about them in the group. Um, I love working with companies who make it as easy to tune a bow as they do. That's right. That's right. I unfortunately have severed the string on my brand new Bowtech bow that I got. I mean, dude, I was shooting freaking tacks with this, with this joker and feeling really confident. And about the time I put it away, the next time I was going to take it out was going to be on a deer hunt. Um, I realized that a broadhead had cut the string somehow. Um, but here's the thing that I'm not concerned about with the Bowtech to what you're saying is that I will be able to get it back to uh, game ready quickly. Yep. Um, because it, I mean, the first time it took three arrows, you know what I mean? This will be cakewalk. It's a, yep. uh, it's such a tunable bow. It's such an easy bow. If, if you have any knowledge about tuning a bow, you will love it. If you have no knowledge about tuning a bow, you can learn it that's with it. this bow. And that's why, uh, that's why I'm excited about it. All right, dude. So we're under 15 minutes. This will be the shortest intro we've done in quite some time. Building on how quickly I, I segued, let's get everybody over to Mike. He's got a really important message, a really great organization that I think a lot of people in the group have been clamoring for, and they're going to enjoy hearing from him. He's a just a stand-up guy, the nicest you can be, and hopefully hopefully he gets a turkey this spring and we can have him on to talk about that because uh, he, he's chomping at the bit. That's right. I, I think I am really attracted to this episode with Mike because it's hard to keep up with every single issue that is going on in, in the hunting space, when it comes to conservation, when it comes to our rights as hunters, it's hard to keep up. These guys are doing it for you and presenting the information in an easy way to, to consume and learn. And uh, I'm interested for, for guys to hear that. That's awesome, man. And, and I completely agree, especially as content creators working full-time jobs. It's really hard because we're trying to meet all our deadlines to get content out for you guys, recruit new episodes. And they're going to make it really easy for us with a syndication, a product syndication. They're going to record a podcast, send it to us. We're going to drop it on the audio waves for you guys as a bonus episode, not as one of the main four, as a bonus episode. And then you guys can go right to the call to action items and be plugged in with minimal amount of effort, but maximum efficiency, which is something we talk about in the deer woods. We don't talk enough about conservation. So uh, I hope you guys really enjoy the episode. I did recording it. I'm probably going to really enjoy editing it and hopefully it uh, brings some joy to y'all's day. Yeah, man, let's get in this conversation with Mike. About this time of year the spirit of giving back and you know, we've all had a seven month deer season. We've had a, gl- a blast. Well, maybe not all of us, but most of them in the South have had like a very long deer season. And w- we are left with a feeling of gratitude and a feeling of wanting to give back to sustain. Uh, but the reality is we've burned a lot of our PTO. We've burned a lot of our good graces from uh, our wives and our families to be out there pursuing uh, our, our, our obsession. And, it leads us finding it difficult to find ways to plug in, still have that impact. And I think today you're going to be hearing from a guest that has the ability to give you guys the means and the ability to impact massive change with a minimal effort. It's a high efficiency kind of situation here. I'm really excited about it. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Uh, but I want y'all to to get to know today's guest, Mike Costello, dude. Uh, John Stallone connected us with you. 
we got to chat on the phone the other day, but for anybody who doesn't know who you are, why don't you kind of give everybody a little bit of a, a background to, to who you are and then what you, uh, the organization yeah, you work yeah. for. Yeah, I'll, I'll apologize first and foremost. I'm in California, so... So thank you for uh, for opening up the door to me to even be here. Um, but yeah, Southern I, guys I, everywhere just like turned it off. Yeah, yeah. I know. We just we just lost that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, stay with, us. stay with us. Stay with us. Hang in there. It gets better, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I've been in California all my life. Grew up. Um, the the most outdoor stuff that I did. I did a lot of backpacking. A lot of a lot of like multi-day five seven day backpacking trips with my dad as a kid and and i got bored just walking around in the woods and so i I learned to fly fish early so my my harvest from the land early as a teenager was largely um like backcountry fly fishing and i kind of dreamed about hunting a little bit um but just never got into it so i i finally you know did the adult onset hunter thing seven years ago and I hunt solo completely, which is kind of the opposite of your, your, your deer camp, um, concept. Um, but for me, it's just, it's getting out in the woods and to me, it's like a puzzle. California hunting is not easy. Um, I think just because our, our game populations are relatively low and we've just got a lot of big, big mountain, big, you know, big backcountry uh, areas to go into. So to me, it's like this puzzle. It's this endless riddle, no matter how much information you pick up. Um, on a good day or a bad day, you cash that information away and, and you use it to then figure out the next step of the riddle, but the riddle never, you're never solved. Like it's never completely finished. Um, and I think that goes to, I think that's how it is, whether you're hunting, you know, blacktails or mule deer or black bear or, or whitetail, um, whether you're running food plots and just every year trying to make it better, figure it out to, to get that one buck in. that's always across, you know, across the road and won't come over your property or whether you're hunting turkey. I think, you know, hunting, hunting is very much a mental and physical, um, and for some people like spiritual game that's just always evolving. Um, and in that, or in that regard to me, hunting is intrinsically a human activity. Like there hasn't been a culture on planet earth that didn't go out, participate in nature, engage with the land and the habitat and the wildlife and harvest from it. Like that that society doesn't exist that didn't do that. Um, and so I, um, I'm involved with Howl for Wildlife, uh, kind of got involved two years ago when we had our second, when there was a second attempt by the Humane Society of the U.S., um, HSUS. I call them part of the anti-hunting industry. I don't call them animal rights advocates because I don't think they really advocate. That's great. They don't really advocate for animal rights. They, they identify a specific species that they want to put on a pedestal at the, um, at the cost of a lot of other species and at the cost of human participation in nature. And so HSUS was on their second round of trying to take bear hunting away from Californians on the threat, the, the idea that there was not enough bears in California. Um, that they were threatened by wildfire and drought and all these things. And actually, from a biologist perspective, the wildfires benefit the black bears um, just with successional habitat and regrowth and whatnot. We have, we have lots of black bears in California. Many people see them more than they see deer. Um, but at that time, the issue was in front of the commission. And, and we'll get into the weeds here on like where an issue sits and who the decision makers are and how we as hunters can be fast and effective and engaging those people but the, the issue was at the commission level 
And the commission's charter is really to support sustainable hunting. They're there to protect the wildlife in terms of make sure that the wild, the critters are successful. Um, but they're also there to protect, you know, hunting and use hunting as a tool for management. Um, and this commission didn't used to see a lot of hunters. They saw a lot of the crazy cat ladies that would show up and they'd make the same pitch every, every time that they're in there, you know, stop hunting. I love the furry critters. You know, they make their character assassination mm -hmm. of what the typical, what their typical hunter is. And then they sit down and, and the hunters weren't present. Like we weren't there. And we realized that we have to show up. Like we have to show up, whether it's an email or a phone call or in person. And at that time, COVID was in full swing in California. And so in-person meetings weren't happening. Uh, a lot of people had more free time on their hands. In-person work wasn't happening. So all of a sudden, we as a community could go in. We could attend these Zoom calls in mass. And, and we, got, um, we got hundreds, literally hundreds of hunters that hadn't participated in the process before to be in person in these Zoom calls with these commission meetings. And we completely... Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Like, we surprise ourselves and we surprise the commission. The commission was really happy to have us there. They really liked hearing the stories and the values that mm -hmm. we brought about why we bear hunt, what we do with the meat, that we do use the meat, we do use the fat. Like we, sh we feed our families, we feed our friends, um, you know, that the, that the, the a bear hunt is not just jump out of the truck and, you know, shoot stuff. It's, it's a, it's a physical and mental endeavor that, that requires effort. And, um, 
And so the, the commission heard that from us as a community for the first time really in, in ages and it really resonated and it worked and we won we got that that petition from the hsus defeated you know in a in a unanimous vote from the commissioners in california and so you know we are free california is frequently seen as like the state that all the bad all the all the anti-hunting regulations flow from yeah and so we realized that we 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 thought we figured out that we kind of tapped a vein on the the the, the hunter advocacy and hunter engagement working. We weren't the ones there with pitchforks and screaming and, you know, wild statements. And it was actually turned out to be the anti hunters that were making all of the, the, the crazy lies, the allegations that they would make were totally unfound. Surprising. Yeah. They, 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 and what's, it, what's, what's really become clear is that like when you look at data of hunting, you look at stories of hunting, you look at, the why of why people go out and hunt you look at the the, the conservation systems of how they work like day, like the human side of hunting and the data side of hunting and the wildlife success side of hunting they all they all point to hunting is good for wildlife um especially yeah. it's modern hunting they whereas the anti-hunters they they anchor on you know stories of a hundred years ago where there mm-hmm. was market hunting that did strip a lot of animals off the landscape. You know, there was poisoning of wolves. There was poisoning of predators. You know, there's things being done 60, 80, 120, 200 years ago that are not today's version of hunting. It's not what you, it's not what the three of us espouse and, and practice and want to see, but they have to hang on to those ancient stories of like, like humans being bad um, to make their stories work. And, and how's, the whole mission of Howl, we have two we have two purposes at Howl. One is to make it super easy and effective for you guys, anybody who's listening, to jump on, look at the action center, see what the problems of the day are, see what the threats or opportunities of the day are that look to either take down hunting opportunity or flip conservation on its head, um, or maybe even put in place like protections for hunting as a right. You look at the action center, you can see it, and you can click on a thing, and literally within like a minute or two, you can have your message sent, and you can craft your own message, or you can use one that we've got there. You can have your message sent to the decision makers that have that issue in their hands at that time. Like, you don't email your senators when the commission has it. You don't email, you don't, you don't email the commission mm-hmm. when the Senate has it, you know? So that's the part that we help navigate is we make sure that the messages are going to the right place. Um, but the other thing that Howl's is building out is, is, is mechanisms and ways to communicate to the non-hunters. Cause I think a lot of times we, as a community, we get upset with, you know, that, that suburban, urban non-hunter who votes a certain way against us because they don't understand what it is that we're doing. Um, those people just vote like they're not, we can't obligate them to know what we're doing. If we don't tell them what we're doing, you know, like they don't, they're just going about their lives. They're busy. They got two jobs. They got kids, they got debt, they got car payments. They got, you know, soccer games and, and all that, all that stuff that they've got their lives stacked up with. If hunting's not part of it, they're going to be very quickly swayed. They're going to make a three second decision at some point 
that's influenced by probably a picture and a headline. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we like as a hunting community, because we like to stay kind of within our, we like to stay in our tent. You know, we like to sit in our blind. We don't want to go out. Like we don't bring the world into our blind. We don't bring the world into our tent. We go to our tent or our blind to be away from the world. And so we haven't been feeding our pictures and our headlines into the non-hunting community the way that the anti-hunting industry has literally for the last 40 years. Like they've redefined words and they've redefined language in a way that, that paints modern conservation based hunting in a, in a bad way. And so we're building out, we're building out stories and, and communication tools to put in front of that non-hunter who we actually just need to love a little more. They don't, we don't need to recruit them. R3, I think is dead. Um, you know, the recruit, retain, reactivate people are going to hunt or they're mm-hmm. not. There's the fourth R that really is the valuable. It's the relatability. Like, do they relate to us? They don't. They don't become us, but do they relate to hunting and why it's important, or or is it relevant? Like, do they see? Oh, I don't hunt, but I see why it's relevant to wildlife success. And so, those are the two things that Hal's doing: building advocacy systems and tools for hunters or anybody else that wants to value wildlife management with hunting at the core, or communicating to those that aren't about why it's important to support and, and, and um, embrace hunting as conservation's number one, you know, mechanism. It's a lot, lot to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, a lot of, uh, we could probably just end the podcast now. I feel like you gave a really good, <laughs> a really good description of what Hal does. And I was, I was wildlife.org. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, in the show notes, I think Mike, you have a, a very unique perspective and you have a, a perspective that really kind of uh, applies here because being from California, I'm, I'm from Texas originally mm-hmm. live in Alabama. Now, most of my life has been around the South mm-hmm. and around, uh, rednecks and around people who hunt. And like, it's just in nowhere have I ever, I've never been anywhere that hunting was just like unheard of, you know, right. or people didn't have an uncle who hunts or something like that. Now I've never been to California. Mm-hmm. I don't know a whole lot of people from California. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've been told of California is that it is not a regular thing to hunt. Like there's a lot of people who don't hunt. I've also yep. been told things like what you think about California is different than big California. Uh, there's a lot of rednecks. There's a lot of hunters. There's a lot of people who live that lifestyle and they're maybe not um, shown as the demographic of California. Yeah. So you as a, as an adult onset hunter, you grew up. I'm guessing in California, right? Yeah. Yeah. Suburban South Orange um, County, like high school is Orange County. Go to, you know, junior between junior year and senior year of high school. I was at the beach every day like that. You have uh, the unique perspective that you have is that you're not, you started this and with an idea of what the Americans who are the furthest away mm-hmm. from being um, exposed to hunting And you've kind of exemplified what it is that you're talking about in the hardest place probably to do it. Culturally, Um, you're not supported. Like you're very, 
very much on my own. And, and, and that may be one reason I hunt alone is um, I didn't have an immediate community that was like lifting me up in the hunting space. And so, yeah, I don't know if I would have hunted, you know, I definitely didn't grow up in, grow up in it. I think about hunt, people talk about how hard it is to hunt. And I think, you know, seven years in 30 days a year, you know, I've got a couple hundred days on the field now. Um, people that have grown up in hunting, they get those 200 days in the field, you know, before they're 15 and they just soak yeah. up and absorb you know, the culture, the tactics, the tactics, the strategies, the woodsmanship, you know, there's so much that you absorb when you're brought up in the community of hunting that is just natural. Like you just said, like, I, like you can't imagine not being in a community where, where people don't hunt. Um, what was the thing for you that got you either interested or started in it? Um, I, I wanted to deer hunt when I was a kid you know, my dad and I, we walked around, we went out and walked in the woods one time for like five hours. You know, I had a rifle in my hands. It was a rifle. It was a rifle walk. We didn't see anything. Like, I, I think he just, it wasn't <laughs> his thing. And we didn't have, you know, again, we lived in suburban, you know, the Bay, you know, East Bay area, you know, 30 miles from, from San Francisco, or we lived, you know, between San Diego and, and LA. Like we just weren't, we just, there just wasn't a community there. My dad didn't really hunt. He hunted as a, as a kid some, he did some deer hunting as a kid. But again, it like it just we weren't steeped in it, um, and we weren't close to it. And so I'm sure now that I look back, you know, the magic of Facebook, I can see guys I went to high school with. I'm like, I bet he hunted. Like you know, they just but they had their family trip. Like their family trip was they'd go to mm-hmm. oh they'd go to Montana for two weeks and you know in the fall and we would go skiing. Like people would go do their family trip, and I realized there probably were some people that were sitting next to me in class that hunted. But because it wasn't, it just wasn't the norm, like they didn't come back and talk about it because they didn't, they probably didn't know if they had it. There's who, who would they talk to about it? You know? So is it harder there? Is it, is it harder to, to hunt, like to, to get a, a a license to get a, a, you know, no safety education, like. No, you, you, you know, you do, you do online, you, you can do online hunter safety. It's, it's free. I think it's, uh, I, I, you know, the, it's, it's a free course online or maybe it's 25 bucks. Um, you know, licenses, everything's more expensive here. I think, you know, a license, you know, your basic package of, of deer license, you know, of, of license, first deer tag, upland game stamp, you know, waterfall, waterfowl stamp, um, you know, you're looking at 200 bucks pretty quick, which I think is, is significantly more than your, your, you know, your license, your small game, your, and your, your Ford doe and one buck tag or whatever you guys can get out there. Um, so I think yeah. it's, but, <laughs> but people are, you know, people drop $200, you know, on all kinds of stuff, you know, and so if people well, want and to that could do be- it, you know. That could be more of a representation of the value of a dollar in California versus in Alabama. You know what I mean? I know yeah, exactly. uh, that's a, it is, it is very different. Yeah. I just think I, I like the reason I like uh, what you do with how, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm proving your point right now. I've, I believe everything I've heard about hunting in California, just mm-hmm. because of what maybe two people have said about California. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and you offer this unique perspective of a non-hunter, you, you understand 
just by hearing you talk, the things that you said, you understand kind of the the mindset of it is not inherently against hunting, right? Because how could it be? It's kind of like human nature, as you said. Mm-hmm. Society has been doing it forever. Yeah. Um, but you you also understand, um, that it's not it's not necessarily that they hate hunters or hate the idea of what we know as hunting. Mm-hmm. I hate the idea of what other people portray as hunting. You know what I mean? So yeah, how can we, I, we all do. And like that's what, that's what's so wild <laughs> yeah. is, you know, what's used to market against hunting. Like we are like, well, that's insane. That's gross. Like that's, that's repulsive. I, I'd vote against mm-hmm. that too, but I know that that's not what it is. What are some things that you have done that you felt like have, uh, kind of bridge that gap you know what i'm saying to to help like specific examples of helping people who maybe didn't understand yeah so i um i started running trail cams early i realized after my first season of deer hunting i saw zero deer it wasn't until like the last day and this is like 20 days in the mountains it wasn't until like the last day that i actually found this area where I was seeing fresh scat, fresh sign. Like, oh, it's the last day I found where the deer were yesterday. Like, I actually found a spot. So I was like, okay. You I'm just described to- Walt season every year. <laughs> no deer yeah. until the last so, day. And yeah. um, lots of turds, so lots true. of deer turds. <laughs> I was wondering if you could make yeah. big. And so I, I, I put up some trail cameras the next year. And um, and lo and behold, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's bucks in here, you know. I was in the right spot, and and so these trail cameras are giving me this this amazing proof of life, and and I'm just like, I'm giddy about it. Like this is me, and I'm not even seeing them in person. I'm just giddy about the fact that the trail cameras are showing me that there's deer in this area. So I started sharing this stuff onto you know Instagram and and in the Facebook groups and stuff, but Instagram is where, you know, Facebook groups is very pre-selected. Of course, it's all hunters. Um, Instagram mm-hmm. is my personal, like, stuff. Like, the dogs, the kids, you know, the vacation deer and bear on my trail cameras. And so there was this, I, w- I wouldn't call it, um, there was just this easy introduction to my social circle that I was starting to pursue these animals. And so most of the, my friends before I started sharing stuff, we're non-hunters. And, and this is all new for them and me, like Mike, Mike hunting, Mike looking for animals in the woods is new. And so they kind of got used to that and they, they became fascinated. Like who doesn't like a picture of a bear, like in the woods, who doesn't like a picture of a, of a buck in the woods or a fawn, you know, that's, that's two weeks old. Like all of this stuff is fascinating. And so I think they saw me evolving as a hunter while I was also showing them my interest in just wildlife in general. And they, th- you know, those two things came together like, okay, Mike is working really hard. This is not a simple, just jump in the truck, throw a six pack of beer out in the back and like go shoot something. Um, there's this, there's this mental aspect to it. There's an effort aspect to it. It's actually really complicated and, and not easy. And so that kind of built up to where when I did finally get my first harvest, which was a, which was a bear with a bow, like my first animal was, was a bear with archery equipment, um, you know, like 25 yards, four years in people like, Oh my God, like people that didn't hunt and probably haven't, you know, don't hunt, won't hunt, et cetera. We're still like, wow, that's amazing. You know? And so I think the biggest part of it was me sharing the full, the full breadth of the story. Not just, 
silent and then look at this dead bear. Like it was, they saw the whole journey Mm -hmm. and, um, and I've had several non hunters reach out and comment and just say like, I'm not a hunter and I'm probably, you know, they're probably admittedly like way, like we're on different sides of the, of the, of the spectrum, maybe politically, socially in a lot of ways, but they're like, what you're doing, like you've shown me that there is actually a side to this that I had no idea existed. Like there's a, there's a cerebral mental side to what you're doing. And I know that you value wildlife in general. And this is, this is, this is kind of broken some, some, uh, it's broken some things down for me in a way that I didn't know existed. And hang on. That's why I think it's critical that we use our equivalent of the cave drawing that we use our social media. Like anti-hunters don't want us to use social media. They want us to think that every time we post something, we're doing something wrong. When really we need to use the social media. We need to push the story of our hunt, of our planning, of our failures, all of it. Not just the grip and grins, but we need to push those things into our personal circles and into social media so that people see that whole thing and like, okay, because that's where the stories of that, that we tell about hunting are where we make the bridge to the non hunters that say, mm-hmm. okay, I get it. There's more here than I knew. It's funny. I've, uh, I grew up surrounded by hunters. The idea of a non hunter was, was a cultural shock to me. Like I just, I didn't know that they existed until literally I had a woman walking her dog through the woods. I was like, Hey, like, you know, there's people out here hunting. You need to be wearing blaze orange. And she, she looked at me dead in the face and goes, I could care less if you lost the right to hunt and fish. I'm like, okay, first off, I'm just trying to keep you safe guy. Like, uh, (laughs) good morning. Nice to see you. Don't know who you are. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. Like, so like, she's like, she's, she's in the position of anti-hunter. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Actually. You're absolutely right. But that was still my first encounter with like any spectrum of Saturday mornings or for hunting Sunday mornings or for hunting. Like, well, not Sunday mornings, yeah. Sunday afternoons. Sorry, Parker. Um, and so, you know, it, it was, it was always a bit of a culture shock. Then I moved to Tallahassee with my wife and all of her friends are like either non hunter or like that woman yeah. I described, right? Like just completely, uh, I wouldn't say any of them were advocate advocates against us, but they enjoyed the parks that the Pittman Robertson land trust fund Absolutely. put on the landscape and they enjoyed the wildlife that they got to see there. And it was so funny to me because what you described is so like I experienced it. So this really yeah. myself, these people went from, I had vegetarians who would hear Elena talk about how lean venison was and they would eat it. And then it didn't mess with their stomachs. Like mm-hmm. red, like, like all the other meats that they had cut out. And these are dancers. These are high performance mm-hmm. individuals. And they started coming to the party saying, Hey, do you have any venison? Hey, do you have any venison? And so the trepidation fades and suddenly they're starting to be, you know, um, really excited about eating it and consuming it, which is part of the story yeah. you're talking about. And then I'd have people reach out on Facebook and say, I really wish you'd taken a picture of it instead of shooting it, but I could see how much you enjoyed yeah. that. And I'm proud yeah. for you. Right. That isn't that she would prefer one thing, but she's still, you know, having fun she for it. And so what you say about it's, telling it's a, the story, it's a value, if it's mm-hmm. a value to you 
and that's then it's right. like and and if if they like you and respect you and all the other areas of life if it's a value of yours then you're they're less likely to try to take it away from you that's right that's and right the, and, and one deer recognize... one one backstrap in walter's house is of high value you might only get one or two of them a year a rare, you know what i mean <laughs> if you're lucky. some bucks some bucks he kills might only have one good backstrap on them <laughs> i'll send you an episode that makes that joke make even more fun i mean that's that's a, that's a good one that's a zinger i shot a deer that had been ran over by a car in a past life and so there wasn't much no, left on that thing no. um so i there's a so why is this important though like out west it seems like Colorado has this this major issue right now. California, we've lost the we lost the opportunity to hunt with with hounds. Um, trapping's been taken away. Bobcats are on hold right now. Mountain lions we can't hunt. Like we lost a lot of stuff, mostly fifteen to thirty years ago. Washington State's got issues. Colorado, I mentioned, has got issues. So I think the cultural divide that I think people can easily jump to is like this is a west. This is a Western states issue. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you guys get that or, or okay. yeah, Florida, Florida yeah, it's does Oregon. It's always New Hampshire. It's, it's always feels like it's like some distant far foreign country that doesn't yeah. impact us. I'll yeah. tell you one, one that does impact us directly is the Florida black bears. Um, not, I say us, I don't live in Florida, but I have been to Florida and my, yeah. I have my in-laws are in Florida. My friends are in Florida and, it, there are so many black bears in Florida Isn't that wild and, and you can't, and you yeah. can't hunt them. There is literally no, no season to hunt them. And, and the people and the people here have just kind of like, let that go. Like the hunters mm-hmm. have like, just, we're never getting that back. And they're probably not wrong. Like there, it is probably going to be harder to mm. get it back. Um, but it's like this like venomous relationship where like hunters who used to hunt bear are pissed. Sure. And they don't want to tell their story on social media like you, you and I just right. talked about. They want to keep it as close to the vest as humanly possible because the last time they, they shared that stuff and exposed themselves, they had that stuff taken right. away from them. Right. And it was a multi-million dollar media effort. Like they 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 photoshopped photos of hunters killing young yeah. bears. Like they they went all out to make us look bad. And there was no representation for it, really. Yeah. And that's, um, and that's what they, they, they being the anti-hunting industry, that's what they do. And I call it an industry because they literally, they fundraise, you know, American SPCA sells puppy calendars. Um, and then they turn around and they, they put money into legal and political battles that, that take away hunting rights. Like they, they, they fundraise, um, they'll fundraise nationally and then, and then pull money and celebrities and, you know, all kinds of resources into a local battle. That issue in, in Florida, when, when bear hunting was taking away, it probably wasn't homegrown. Like it wasn't the local anti-hunting chapter. Like it, it was probably funded and organized by political and legal strategists that are working nationally or globally. And that's what's so crazy is they do this and they come in and then by the time we as a community get wind of it, it's like, like we're, we're way behind. Um, and then hunters, again, we go back, you know, we go back into our tent, we go back into our blind, we hunt solo. 
I hunt in California. Why do I care? Like historically, that's just been what's, that's been the reality, but I think there's an awakening. I really, I really believe that we as a group, as a community are starting to realize that when we didn't protect running hounds, when we didn't protect trapping, you know, those that don't run hounds don't understand it. Those that don't trap don't understand it. Um, when we let go of things and didn't support and protect things that, that we don't understand or that we aren't personally involved in, we gave up something that we'll never, we'll never get back or very hard to get back. And it moves the attack closer to us. You know, that just incrementally, they're just getting closer and closer to whatever it is that we love. And so that's my call, you know, to your community is, um, the anti-hunting orgs, they place people like there's two, there's two HSUS people on the payroll in Arizona. Arizona's a great state for hunting. Like they've got great game management, got phenomenal opportunities. There's two HSUS people in, in Arizona that are on their, their salaried with the intent of moving the needle against Arizona hunting opportunity. Like they didn't just grow up there with this thing. They're planted. They're like strategists, like, like mercenaries. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and this is where we need to come together. Well-funded this is where we need to come together and, and acknowledge that and then, and then figure out how to respond. With Hal, do you, um, that there are conservation issues like you just referred to, right? Like the, the anti hunting industry against mm-hmm. the hunting community. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's also this internal, these internal issues that mm-hmm. are, you know, like, like you mentioned, like, like hounds running hounds, there are great cases for running hounds. There's also great cases against running hounds, you mm-hmm. know, just from a, from a conservation standpoint or whatever, there are, there are plenty of, uh, laws or regulations throughout the United States that are, um, you know, that maybe need to be in place. Maybe you sure. don't need to. Do it. So my, my, my question is, are, does Hal cover that that scope of things, or is it specifically aimed towards what you what what you've more been referring to, which is kind of the anti against the hunting industry? Yeah, I think um, I think I can answer that. I, my, There's not a wrong I, answer. No, our, our 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 view of where conservation, wildlife management, hunting decisions should should be made is that they should be made at the commission level. Most states, if not all states, have your Department of Natural Resources, your Fish and Game Commission, your Department of Wildlife, Fish and Wildlife. And usually there's a commission, which is they're appointed either by, by county, you know, groups of counties or the, the governor appoints them. You know, they're appointed, then they're approved. They And they structure, they do regulatory structure. And then, then there's the department that executes the structure. That's where the wardens are, that's where the tags are sold. And so our view is that that is, that's the healthiest place for decisions to be made as long as, and they need to be informed by data and science. And so, you know, I'm not going to say, oh yeah, we should, you know, let's use California and black bears as an example. You know, we want spring bear. We want um, to build run hounds. We want to bait. I'll throw baiting in. Okay, should baiting be allowed in all of California's bear zones? Probably not, because you're going to have 
you know, if you're, if you're an hour from San Francisco, um, people and people are walking their dogs and all that, then the dogs are getting, getting in the base. Like, should you be able to bait in Northern, Northern California where you're, you're right across from the Oregon border and you're three, three, you know, th- a three hour hike from anything. Sure. Who cares? Like let's bait, let's bait in the wilderness. Um, so, but that decision should be made at the commission level as a method of take. They're going to decide what, and they modulate. We need more bears harvested. Let's improve. Let's increase the methods of take. Let's add a spring season. Um, you know, let's let's run hounds. If we need to take more bears off the landscape from a management perspective, let's allow hound hunting in that area because it's the most effective. Um, and so, I don't just say all methods of take everywhere all the time because that's not practical. But the decision to modulate or adjust methods of take and the season structure and the tag structure and how many animals are coming off across all species should be vested with that commission. And the other reason is because we don't, we will often not like what the commission says or does. Like we're always, there's always gonna be somebody in the community like, ah, that's not right. The commission structure kind of ebbs and flows. Like if, if they're appointed by the governor, well, you get a new governor every four to eight years. Right. And so the commission structure can kind of ebb and flow and the commission makes its decisions very slowly, but they can reverse their decisions very easily. Whereas if it's a ballot box initiative or legislation, those decisions happen fast and they're not based on data and they're almost impossible to reverse. So like if we, if we move and most decisions related to wildlife management have been in the commission in level in the last, you know, if you go back 20, 30 years, but where we're losing the battle is when these issues get pushed to a ballot box item or a legislative item, because then it's an emotional decision or it's a political decision. Mm-hmm. So it could, at that point it could be funding. Like somebody's going to write me a check for a hundred grand. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll vote this way. Um, and so you get into politics and emotions, making decisions for wildlife instead of actual data and science. That is a great way to segue into what I was going to ask to follow that up is softballs. When somebody, (laughs) when somebody supports, when somebody supports how, um, I know with a lot of different conservation organizations and, and, and similar things, honestly, Mm -hmm. when you, when you support one group, you're kind of making a political, uh, choice because they have leanings right does mm-hmm. that make sense I, yeah. I don't want to make the conversation political i'm not going towards that mm-hmm. but when somebody supports how or um you know becomes a, a part of a part of what you guys have going yeah. on is, is that even a thing or is it going to be strictly based on the data and the wildlife yeah we want um we want we want the decision to be made based on data and at the commission level and 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 we want we know that we're not always going to agree with those, but that's where, like, if the department comes out and says, you know, we ran this five-year study, this this longitudinal study in this zone for five years, and it tells us that this critter needs to be put on hold, like hunting this critter needs to be put on hold for these reasons for, you know, two seasons. Like, yeah, personally, I'd say, ah, oh, that sucks. I like hunting that critter. But at like at Hal's perspective, like that's the best and right decision because it's better than it going to the legislature. It's better than the, somebody in L.A., you know, somebody, you know, 400 miles away voting on it. Um, and so 
we think that that's where that's where the argument, that's where the debate, that's where the the science and the sausage making should happen is at mm. that level. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that people make people choose the the conservation orgs that they're going to support, and um, they kind of like they they throw down their thirty five or fifty bucks for membership, and that's their that's their. They, they, there's some identity to it. Like I'm, I, I support and go to the NWTF dinner. It's the weekend before, you know, the deer association dinner. I don't go to that one. I go to the Turkey. I go to the Turkey dinner, not the deer dinner, you know? And so there's identity. People build up an identity with those things. And I think that's awesome. I think all the species specific orgs, they do what they do really well. Like RMEF does phenomenal work advocating for elk creating preserving supporting building up elk habitat doing science and relocations to expand elk herds into former native range they do phenomenal stuff and i I like to pick on them because they're they're one of the best at what they do but they don't Mm -hmm. they don't do advocacy very much like when the bear population in california is growing and elk calves are being killed by bears in northeastern California and those bears are not huntable because the way our zones are set up and then there's a threat about taking bear hunting away personally I was frustrated about how army F didn't get involved in that fight like hard I would have thought that the mule deer association and army F and California deer association I would have thought that they would have rallied hard and like no we're going to preserve bear hunting but that's not their lane. Like they're, they're not bear hunting advocates. They are elk advocates and deer advocates. And NWTF is a turkey advocate and pheasants and quail forever, et cetera. So what Hal realized and what we realize is that nobody's doing what we're, nobody's doing this space of like, we'll talk to all of those orgs. We want to talk to members of all of those orgs about this advocacy thing because there needs to be a place that stitches everybody together with one common goal. And that is preserve conservation, wildlife management and hunting as the core for both. Like that's like, that's, that's what's needed. And so, um, you know, Hey, you know, I'll I'll talk to um, the long range rifle hunting group tomorrow, tomorrow and the, and the bow hunting, the trad bow group the next day. Like, I don't care. Like you all do what you do and you're awesome at it. Um, you know, the trad bow people will, will fight tooth and nail with the long range rifle group as to which is better. I don't care. Like they both take skills. They both take effort. They're both going to have a different tag and season structure attached to them. So, you know, have at it. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure that hunting and across all species that are sustainable is supported regardless of what method of take or what critter you're going after. Yeah, I was, I was absolutely irate when I realized the lack of involvement building on what you said uh, a minute ago about REMEF, R-M-E-F um, the lack of involvement from a variety of conservation groups yep. when the bear hunt in Florida was under attack. And that was a real big blow to uh, my desire to yeah. be involved with a lot yeah. of those agencies um, largely because of, and I hear, and I hear what you're saying, and this is what I was told from a lot of them is, well, this isn't our lane. Like bear hunting isn't our lane. And the crux of the problem was they were saying, well, your management plan doesn't include bear hunting. 
And so if your management plan doesn't include bear hunting explicitly, Mm -hmm. then why is there a bear hunt? Okay. That logic, if not countered immediately, could be extrapolated very quickly to a lot of other management plans. And it creates an avenue in which to attack the logic surrounding a lot of our management plans. And so my whole argument on that is this is not an attack on bear hunting. This is an attack on the commission's ability, like you said, to decide what and how to manage the resource. And that's it was a direct assault on that. And it wasn't lost in the courts. The governor pulled pulled the plug because of the political mm-hmm. pressure. There was not enough support for it. And to me, if you're wanting to be an advocate, you know, save the habitat, save the hunt. And I'm not like dogging in WTF directly mm-hmm. here, but as in like I'm life jaded. But if you're if your whole thing is save the habitat, save save the habitat, save the hunt, and you don't save the mechanism that saves yep. the habitat. You're not doing any better. Okay, so you preserved a piece of property. Right. That's great. But if we don't have the means in which to manage it on our own, that's just as big an affront on what right. we do. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't if you don't maintain the ability for trapping to take some right. raccoons off the back 20 acres, um your turkey numbers are going to go down. Like if you don't if you don't allow those mechanisms to be in place, for those that want to do it, then it's going to be harder mm-hmm. to um, have, you know, have the other species in balance as well. I think um, we, we've all like be, the attacks on hunting are, I'd say that they're ratcheted up heavier and more acutely now than they were, say, 20 years ago. Like Cal- 20 years ago, it was probably just California. <laughs> Um, now they're everywhere in, in one shape or another. And I think, you know, we all have had the NGOs that are there. They've been doing a good, a good job for a long time, focus on habitat, focus on the critters that they, are, you know, that they support and protect and whatnot. And that's been good enough. Um, now we're realizing that they are good at what they do, but we need to know that we have the ability to work. We need to work as a community as one. Um, We're not just hunters of species in states with a method of take that we focus on. We need to all be banded together. And, and that mimics what the anti-hunters are doing. Like that's what they do. You know, coyote project center for biological diversity, HSUS, they all, they all pool funds and work together and they all have their lane. I'm sure one, you know, one of them will argue that it's better at this than the other, but ultimately they work together on things. And so we need to be able to do the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's the key. That's what Howell is really about. I think that there are, I don't want to project what some of the threats might be in the Southeast and the East and the Midwest that, that are not, you know, well, I mean, bear hunting, bear, you know, is bear hunting in Florida, is it going to come back or not? Um, I know I was going to get to, why do we bear hunt? Some people will say, well, we bear hunt. We'll, we'll justify it. We justify a lot of hunting. Well, it protects the deer or we bear hunt to protect, you know, these other species or to, because they strip trees, you know, in the Northwest, they strip trees and they kill forests. You I said a, a great one a while ago, the, the raccoons, we, we trap raccoons and kill them, yeah. kill everyone we see because they eat turkeys, yeah. they eat turkey eggs. Are there other reasons to trap them though? The fur? We like the fur? Do we, I don't know if we eat raccoons or not. Do we eat raccoons? They make a yeah, fine stew. Raccoons mm-hmm. too. But at the end of the day, 
when we when we justify why we hunt something with some other outcome, as soon as we we move the argument from hunting that that critter to the uh, the value of the outcome, and then the anti hunters say, well, we can get to that outcome some other way, or that outcome's not needed. I like to boil it down to, we hunt because we're human. Like full stop. Mm-hmm. That's why we hunt. And, and the systems and, and, you know, you go back to every society, not everybody in every clan, family, tribe, village, whatever you want to call the, the community group, whatever word you want to attach to that community group, not everyone hunted usually, you know, a percentage of the stakeholders in that community went out and hunted and brought stuff back. Other people did other things in that community. And so we, as a community of North Americans, we, we don't all hunt and that's okay, but we need to preserve the right to hunt because we're human. And so conservation, we say we hunt, what we do supports conservation. It's kind of a two-way street. Conservation supports what we, what we do. Like if we hunted and we didn't have the conservation mechanisms that put funding back into biology, put funding back into habitat, put, curate a regulated system, then we probably would be where we were 150 years ago with a lot of animals on decline. So we, the system around conservation, I think was created to harness the fact that people are going to go hunt no matter what, like people are going to want to go hunt. They're going to pay for the opportunity. And so knowing that that is a human intrinsically human, you know, thing to do and value the system, like we hunt to support conservation, conservation exists to support wildlife, wildlife are there to support hunting. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an economically and ecologically sustainable system that works. Um, and I want to boil it down to where I don't have to justify my bear hunting for some other reason other than I'm a human being. I want to go out and, 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 and go through the process. It's not the killing of the animal. That's the thing. It's the process of getting to that. And then it's what happens after I take that animal. I take that animal, I've got, you know, I'm backpacking it out. I got, you know, 200, 100, 120 pounds of meat and fat. I got to backpack out. I'm happy to do it. I'm going to get it home. I'm going to process it. That fat and that meat's going to be part of our household consumption for the next, you know, months to year. Um, that, that justifies it in itself. Now, the question is, is my bear hunt sustainable? Is it? Am I leaving enough bears on the landscape every year to continue with that population? And if the department says yes, then I should be allowed to bear hunt. It just it just comes down to that. So if it's sustainable, if the if the critters are abundant, um, then and it's sustainable, then then hunting should be the mechanism that's used to to maintain that that ecosystem. You got yeah. my vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you I think you hit the nail on the head, especially if you look at the history and the programming that you kind of touched on mm-hmm. at the beginning. You know, there was the market hunting, there was the mass clear cutting, there was the endangerment of of entire mm-hmm. ecosystems at one point in time. And it was hunters that looked at that. It was hunters that looked at that and went, "Oh, this is not a good yeah. thing." And we 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 did the best marketing we could at that time, which was as many animals as humanly possible and as many trees, mature trees as humanly possible. This is healthy ecosystems. 
And in that moment, that was the energy we needed to go right. towards. But the pendulum swings with time, and we haven't done a great job of turning the nose of the ship away from, listen, we've we, we've learned more. We we need prairies. We need yeah. open areas. We need thick areas. We need, we need to not have as many animals as possible because we can very quickly – uh, exceed what the tipping point is, right? And we can introduce a lot of issues that way. Um, and and I, I think I'm really happy to see the two-prong approach that you guys take, which is one, give me an easy way of annoying the crap out of the person I need right. to. Because I'm going to tell everybody here right now, one of my best friends in, in college was a staffer for an elected official. And he he told me when we were fighting one bill in Georgia, he said, the number one thing you can do is pick up the phone and call yep. somebody because I have to answer that yep. damn thing. And it's me that has to answer all the phone calls. And then I'm stuck here going, yes, I understand. Yes, I understand. No, we do understand. I will make sure. And then when I hang up the phone, there's another and another. It goes on the tally sheet. At the end of the day, I had 17 calls about this. I had three on this and one on this and five on that. And they're like, the elected is like, well, what was that 17 on? I need to know about that. Yeah. At the end of the day, the politicians, as much as we don't like them or as much as we like to not like them. (laughs) <laughs> the politicians, they bend with the wind, like they bend with the wind, Absolutely. like when it comes down to it. And so like Washington state, I will, I'll go on the record saying that the commission that's been seated there, three or four of those commissioners came into that, that commission with a hard bias against hunting. And they were put in place by governor who thinks politically that's the right thing to do. And there were senators that approved them who thought politically that's the right thing to do. So I can't, I'm not going to be able to change the fact that those commissioners are anti-hunting. But if in Washington we can get the wind, the political winds being like the non-hunting public to think, oh, maybe hunting's better than I've been told by the antis, then those senators are going to start to ensure that the commissioners are less anti-hunting. And there's going to be a governor who, the governor's politics may not change on anything else, but that governor will be more likely to seat people that are more balanced and not and a little more more centered, centered and moderate. So the political winds will move. Um, but like you said, you pick up the phone and call or you send an authentic email, which mm-hmm. the Howl website works for. Um, it works. Yeah. And he said there were on several occasions where. Uh, the gentleman he worked for, I'm not going to mention his name, but the gentleman he worked for would be like, he, they didn't come in and look at the tally sheet so much as he would, he, this specifically would come in and say, what's mm-hmm. the vibe? Which way are mm-hmm. we going on this? And he said, the staffers who've been answering that phone call all day, they would go that, that's the direction we're going on this. And and their logic on it was if a hundred people pick up the phone and call me to tell me they're our rate or they don't support something, that matters a hell of a lot more than whatever our inbox over there says for, for I'm not saying not that it was discounted, right? not that it isn't mm-hmm. a good measure, but for that political, for that staffing crew, it was basically, Hey, if there are people calling and, and taking time yeah. out of their day, they must, re- they're not the minority. Yeah. They're, they're speaking for a larger group of people. So I think both are important. I think blowing up both avenues are very important and you've made it very easy to do both. Yeah. Yeah, there is a call function. Some of the actions that we put up on on the Howl Action Center, um, it actually presents you a script and you hit, it has an auto dialer to where you just tap it. So if you're on your phone, you just tap it and it will dial and then it will bring you to the next one and it'll dial and it'll bring you the next one. You just, and you, it puts the script up and you just read the script to them. And, you know, and so it makes it super like, you don't have to go look, oh, who's, who's my elected? How do I call them? 
It's just mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. And you're right. It's your voice talking to their voicemail or a human being on the other end. And it's so effective. Um, this is an arena. I, I use a football analogy. Um, like, or, or a Roman gladiator analogy. Um, as a community for too long, we've been sitting outside at the, at the barbecue, at the tailgate party, drinking beer, complaining about the refs while the game was going on inside the arena and the anti-hunting industry was running the field and we weren't even there. And so we don't have to like the arena that these issues are decided in, but we do have to step onto the field. Like we, we have, we, we don't have to like it. We don't have to like the rest. We don't have to like the rules, but mm-hmm. if we don't go into the arena and at least like try to move the ball, we will lose. Like that's it. And we can't blame anybody else other than ourselves. Cause the gates were open. <laughs> like, like the gates are open. We can go in and step onto that field. Um, and what's amazing is that because we haven't been really actively engaged as a community, as a team to, to win those games, to win in that arena, when we do step in there, it surprises the heck out of people with how effective we can be. Like it really blows people away um, with how effective we can be when that's, and that's why I'm optimistic about the issue in Colorado this year, why I'm optimistic about even even what's going on in Washington, and why I'm optimistic about when there's issues, Florida has its right to hunt and hunt and fish constitutional amendment. I hope that comes back around um, because I think we as a community can really leverage voices nationally and funding nationally to help get that over the line when it comes back around. Um, so I think I think there's a lot we can do. That's awesome, man. So Parker, do you have any? any closing thoughts before man i just i have a, i have just a couple but. no I, the only thing that i was gonna ask is how um how do people get like involved is there a how? membership how how do people get involved yeah is there a membership people... is there is there levels to this thing like like what's the yeah, our membership's pretty basic. I think it's like $35. Um, you can also join, you can go to our memberships page and like you can join Pope and Young and we get we get a part of that. And so you, effectively you're joining both orgs at the same time. Um, so we have some collaborative memberships where we're marketing some of these other NGOs that are that are popular and do good work and we and we, we share the revenue on that. Um, but it's like 35 bucks. Um, the other thing is you don't have to be a member to use the Action Center. Anybody can jump on there and, and test drive the action center and, and use it and, and be an effective advocate. So you, the, the most important part of what we do in terms of, you know, individual hunter advocacy and engagement is free. Um, what we want, what we need membership funds for and where we're working with, um, you know, any kind of fundraising mechanism that we've got, where we're using those things. That's where we're going to turn those things around into you know, I envision billboards outside of Seattle as people are driving in and out of Seattle that have pro hunting messages and not just about we saved elk, but like the faces of the diverse faces of who hunting hunters are and the different species that we engage in, in hunting and that consumption is a key part of it. But, but building that messaging, that's where funding is going to go towards things like that. I do want to say this since I've, you, you guys are giving me the time here and I really appreciate it this year. Like I would love for, 
I'd love for Howell to get a million dollars in donations. That would be fantastic, right? More important than that, Howell is partnering with and really steering uh, financial donations and investments towards Coloradans for responsible wildlife management. Colorado is going to have probably this November on the ballot, on the ballot voted by and by individual non-hunters is going to be an opportunity to end mountain lion hunting and bobcat hunting in Colorado. Yeah. Mountain lion hunting is one of the most sustainable and regulated hunts there is in all of Colorado. It is incredibly regulated. It's wildly sustainable. Um, It helps keep uh, a apex predator population in check healthfully to where, you know, five years from now, if this thing goes through, there'll be another hundred thousand mule deer a year coming off the landscape because of mountain lion kills more than are already coming off the landscape. We as a community need to get behind this. And so the, the website to go find out how to support this issue and, and invest in the strategy that is going to be able to win this, this ballot initiative in November is called save the hunt, Colorado.com. It's really easy. Save the hunt, Colorado.com. I'm challenging all of us to look at what do we go into the field with? We go into the field with six, six, you know, gold tip arrows. Do you go in the field with, with a box with 20, you know, Creedmoor cartridges, a box of shells, three inch shells. Like what do we go in the field with every day? what's the unit cost of that for a box of that or a dozen of that or whatever it is that we hunt with? That's the, that's the dollar equivalent that I, I think if every hunter in the U S commits 30 bucks, $50, $69, whatever it is to save the hunt, Colorado.com, we will win there and we will put a stop to a massive momentum machine that is the anti-hunting industry and we'll draw the line there in Colorado and not have them roll that thing into other states because that's what they'll do. Um, that's where our, that's where Howell's big battle is this year is partnering with them and getting as much energy focused on save the hunt, Colorado.com as possible. We'll include a uh, link cool. to that in our show notes as well. That'll be at the top for yeah. everybody. Uh, that's uh, I, I think I think that's my biggest concern is that these, like you said, mm-hmm. the momentum from state to state, they're going to, they're going to gain a following. They're going to gain legal foothold fault holds. And while state to state rulings in the court don't have quite the same precedent as interstate or super, or federal yeah. rulings, it does give a precedent that is dangerous. And it does, it does worry me about the, the sustainability of, of what we do and what we love. And frankly, our, our resources, because without us, and our funding, it's not going to yeah. stay. And because this is going to be a popular vote, it's not in the legislature, it's not in the commission, because it's a popular vote, right. the messaging that needs to be developed and executed there to win that non-hunting public that's in Colorado, that we need to, we need to sculpt their, their, their perspective on this, it's the same messaging that we need to deploy everywhere into that non-hunter space. And so whether it's in Florida or in Seattle or in California, the messaging that works with that campaign will be it'll be something that's still in the toolkit like we win on november 5th we we still have this messaging toolkit that can be deployed elsewhere um just with the pivot of a couple couple things on on the messaging and and it can go anywhere and so that's going to be um it's not a one and done resource it's not one and done for the anti-hunters 
and it won't be one and done for us because we'll be able to deploy those resources elsewhere as well. So as for HAL, website is either HAL.org, H-O-W-L.org, or HALforWildlife.org. Takes you to the same place. Um, cruise through, check out the Action Center, um, give it a look, look at the membership options, and uh, and we, we, everybody's welcome. Doesn't matter what they're hunting, where they're hunting, or what they're hunting with. We, we want everybody to, to become an advocate for themselves and their neighbor. That's good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate Mike, it. Mike, that's Thank um, you guys. I love hearing I love hearing kind of your evolution as a hunter and kind of and how that led into what might be considered by some as an extreme action for it. But I think I think overall I'm jealous of that. You know, I, I grew up with it all around me. And you get to remember your aha, you're like, ah, you know, your your exposure you get to remember that whole thing and i think yeah. that plays a huge part in in your effort to keep it alive and keep yeah. it well and so i appreciate that about you man yeah thank you yeah i have a, a lot of aha moments <laughs> from the first trail cam picture to uh you know i had a yeah everything's an aha moment right now so it's it's pretty cool it's all still fresh and new well, when we come and hunt your turkeys, awesome, your uh, your yard birds out there, we'll get to see a, an aha moment with why we love turkeys so much. So a- absolutely, let's go ahead and get that on the calendar. I need some education <laughs> on that. You got it. Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. Thank you.